Remember when I said we were transitioning the uh, the podcast to mornings? That was a funny joke, wasn't it? But we're still doing it. We still have a podcast. It's just at a much different time. We're still doing them at night, but I guess whatever. It happens. Lockdown Wolverines podcast, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. I am your man on the ground, Isaiah Ole, publisher of Wolverines Wire through USA Today Sports Media Group. And we have a couple different things to talk about. Yesterday, we talked about Mark D'Antonio's resigning, and we previewed Michigan versus Ohio State basketball. We're going to talk about both things again. Obviously, we have the Michigan of it all, basketball of it all, That uh, how that game ended, all that kind of stuff. We've got plenty to talk about there, so we'll lead off with that. We'll spend a little bit of time still talking about Michigan State because I find that's important. I know there is plenty of... Michigan fans that would say it's not, but we're going to do that in the middle. And then after that, I'm just going to talk all things NFL draft, just because we've got so many mock drafts that we're working through. Seems like I'm posting something about it every day. Probably feels like it's going to happen that way all the way up until uh, until late April, when unless things get become completely solidified. But we'll talk about all of that. So let's start out with uh, this Michigan game against Ohio State. They lost, if you missed it, which I'm sure y'all didn't, at Chrysler 61-58 to in what was a back-and-forth game. Neither team really seemed to take control. Ohio State had by far the largest lead of the night. I believe that was, was up to nine early. Michigan quickly closed the gap, and it was just a constant barrage of uh, lead changes and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I think I have that up right here, actually. There was a... Uh, Michigan's largest lead was three. Ohio, uh, and that was... The last time that they had a three-point lead was uh, five minutes, 36 seconds left. Ohio State's largest lead was nine, and that was about halfway through the first. Uh, as far as uh, lead changes, things of that nature... And oh, that's on here somewhere. I just can't see it. Uh, I mean, it... it it changed quite a bit, you know. It was a constant back and forth uh, between the two teams. Frequent lead changes, frequent uh, frequent ties, all the way basically until that call late in the game, in which, granted, Michigan actually had a lead after that call. Thirty three seconds left, and. Uh, the Xavier Simpson flagrant one, which, listen, I don't know enough about basketball rules. I really don't. But that just seems so egregious, especially because there were so many non-calls. And I understand they saw that the uh, the jersey was ripped. They admitted even to Juwan Howard, what Juwan Howard said after the game. He said that he, you know, he asked about it and said, you think he was just trying to brace his fall? And they said, yeah, but his jersey ripped. So they gave him a flagrant one. I feel like a flagrant foul shouldn't be something that's admittedly incidental. Maybe I don't know enough about it. But to me, that was like so game changing because Michigan had. Yeah, Juwan even said like, yeah, we had a chance to tie it up there at the very end. You know, when we had the perfect play, got an open look. And it didn't go our way. But I mean. Come on. Like, it seems like this game went the opposite of the way games usually go when it's usually like officials call everything. 
And then in the end, they let him play. This was the opposite. They let him play all game. You can go on Twitter. You can see Anthony Wright pointing out Ohio State traveling. There were a couple fouls on that, you know, Michigan, I think, should have had that they didn't here and there. So it was a both ways thing. It seemed like they were Ohio State was getting away with more. But like if you wanted to call that a double foul, which again, I don't know enough about the rules to be able to accurately state. I know so much more about football than I do basketball when it comes to that type of thing. But if you want to say like, hey, it was a it was a foul before the you know, bef- you know, during the shot on uh Kyle Young and it was a foul afterwards on Xavier Simpson. I mean, I guess that they had to call it that way in order to give Ohio State possession back. But I mean, that was just killer because you get those two, you get, at least they got the two free throws to take the one point lead. And Kyle Young goes on the other end, takes the two free throws, makes them both. Ohio State scores again. And then Michigan has 17 seconds. Well, they had 33 seconds left at that point, actually, to get the ball back and do their thing. But, and also, by the way, Juwan Howard did explain that because I saw a lot of uh, bitching and moaning on Twitter. Like, how, what are you doing? He's like, hey, we were, we were trying to not, that's what it was. They fouled. There was, so there's 33 seconds left. They had to foul. That's how they scored. Uh, sorry, Recom- recollection, not always great. But he said, like, listen, they had, uh, we, we were trying to go, you know, get the trap and we got it. And we were trying to get the steal, and we almost got it. We were just trying to not – we were trying to get the ball back and not let them score, which is the right call because you send them to the line, and they hit both. Guess what? Now you have to score three, which was in their case. they That's exactly what they had to do. Or if you get the steal, you only have to score two, and you can win the game. So it was the right call. That was the right thing to do. I don't, again, I don't know a lot about basketball, but that was the right call. But more often than not, I think it, this game does kind of as bad as that call was in the end. This is one of those ones where you have to look at it and say, Michigan, you had chances. And you just whiffed on so many of them because it's just like football. That last play. Or, you know, not the last play, but close to the last play. That wasn't the play that decided the game. I mean, it did, because without it, they very well could have won. You know, score, get Ohio, get a stop on Ohio State. And, you know, you, you win by one. But shooting 33% from the field isn't going to win you a lot of games. It's just not. It's kind of weird to look at their box score and see 33.3% from the field, but they were still 32.3% from three, meaning they were missing all kinds of twos. But we knew that about Ohio State in their defense, that they don't allow a lot of twos, but just so so much of not finishing. So many plays. I don't know what was up with John Teske, but he was abysmal in this game. He He looked out of sorts on both ends of the floor. Finished with three points, six rebounds, only one foul. He just did not look like he had it. Couldn't finish close, couldn't finish far. Wasn't stopping Wesson when he was on him. 
just not just I just don't really understand what they were trying to do with or at least what he was trying to do. I thought it was an awesome game from and I'm trying to start this nickname for him. Austin Davis. I know he's got other nicknames. But I'm trying to call him Stallion. I tweeted out the use the uh, Silicon Valley quote. It changed it up. It said Stallion. Each score one more magnificent than the last. That's that's how I felt about uh, Austin Davis. I thought he gave a great effort. Yeah, some of his fouls were kind of untimely, but he gave Michigan some scoring, some much needed scoring. Finished with what eleven points, I believe. Yeah, 11 points. He was the only person that had any sort of luck trying to to get twos. Xavier Simpson's three scores that weren't field uh, free throws, which were the last two, three of his five were three-pointers. Only only makes that Wagner had were, out of his 12 shots, were his two three-pointers. Brandon Johns, was three for five, so not bad. Two of which were three pointers. Eli Brooks, three for 12. Oof. Two of those were three pointers. David DeJulius was, had one three pointer and one two pointer out of five shots. But you got to do better. You, you got to find a way to, to get. To score when the scoring is there. That's the most important thing. With Michigan State coming up, you play like this again, even if it's in striking distance, guess what? Same deal is going to happen. Amazing that they had uh, 16 points in the paint, honestly. But Ohio State had 30 points in the paint. So that's... You've got to win some of those those battles down low. You've got to at least come close to even. Now Michigan out rebounded them significantly, forty two to thirty. But to me, like the inability to get points down low, Michigan's not built to to do much otherwise. You've got to be able to get those twos because we know how streaky they are from three. Doesn't help that. Ohio State went almost 40% from three and over 40% shooting otherwise. Like, every single time Michigan looked like it was about to do something, Ohio State hit a three. So you got to figure something out. They're close. I think that's the good news. They're close. They only had, what, one game that was like, ugh, really bad? Penn State? Uh, I'll I'll also say Michigan State because even though... Michigan held that relatively close throughout. It didn't ever feel like Michigan was really going to mount that comeback. But other than that, I mean, they've been close. They just got to, this team for some reason can't finish. The good news is you got nine games left. But bad news is you got to win almost the rest of the nine. A lot to go there. All right, that's all, all I've got for basketball thoughts. Weirdly, I could go on for 30 minutes on this, and I'm not going to. Uh, I feel like my thoughts just don't flow when it comes to basketball. So I think that's probably best for everybody. Let's move on to uh, a little bit more Mark D'Antonio talk, just kind of what the happening seems to be, uh, where Michigan State is. My thoughts a little bit more, going down a little bit more down the rabbit hole. Yesterday, I was a little flabbergasted by it. 
and then we'll finish out with some NFL draft talk. Uh, remember, if your company is looking for a new way to reach customers, it could be mentioned right here on this podcast. Email me at iHole at USAToday.com for more details about increasing your business. March Madness is right around the corner. If you want to win your office pool, you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. All right, so we'll talk NFL draft here in a moment, but first, got some more thoughts on the Mark D'Antonio thing. I don't really remember how deep I got into it yesterday. I felt like just not confused, but just like taken aback. You know, we saw, we I came on here and started talking. It was not even a half hour after uh, the tweet hit. So, you know, it just didn't really have my thoughts in order. I have them much more in order now. Uh, obviously yesterday I did mention this, like, how do you quit on your team the day before national signing day? They did lose a recruit over it, or at least he's opened up his recruitment. They're, they're running back Simmons from Georgia. Uh, but otherwise, you know, that there are other two guys that they had to sign. They signed right now. I mean, I talked to a friend who's a big Michigan state insider knows everything that's going on, like, to the T, right? And he said, it's in Luke Fickle's court, but that seems to be the guy. And that's become more evident now. As Matt Campbell publicly came out and said, listen, I'm not going to Michigan State. Uh, Pat Narduzzi, the Nard Dog, took to Twitter with an amazing uh, superimposition of his face over Leo DiCaprio and the Wolf, uh, Wolf of Wall Street. And like, I'm not leaving. Uh, which was incredible. You have to see it if you haven't. I retweeted it already. Um, but aside from, uh, from that, I mean, who else is there? It's fickle. Now you got this... The some, you know, the ones who are really starry-eyed that say Robert Sala, and I was listening on my way home from Chrysler to Dan Leach's show on 97.1, and uh caller called in and said, you know, you know what they said? that They said that Harbaugh wouldn't come to Michigan, and yet it's like, it's, come on. Harbaugh went to Michigan for, you know, he was, he was the starting quarterback at Michigan. He grew up around the program. His father coached at Michigan. It's not an apples-to-apples apples comparison. Robert Sallo was there for what? A year? As a... Like a grad assistant or... Analyst or something of that nature? That's probably not happening. So it's all with Luke Fickle. And... For me, that's like... I find myself rooting for that outcome. 
I do think it will make MSU better. How much better, I'm not sure, but like I think he's a good recruiter. I think he's learned from a lot of his mistakes at Ohio State. I think he hates Michigan. I think that's everything you need to to get something successful. Doesn't seem to field amazing offenses, so check there. But I, I think that because I don't know about you guys, like I yes, I love I like I've I've said this before, I believe. Now that I've covered Michigan for a living, I find myself rooting less for Michigan and rooting more for just not easy work, but work that isn't difficult, you know? And uh, it's just like it is in any job, right? Because once you start doing the job, it actually becomes a job. Doesn't mean I don't enjoy it, but like, I wouldn't enjoy it if like there were like constant contract disputes, for instance, you know, like that would be, you know, like if I had to be delving into or lawsuits, if I had to be just like constantly digging in on lawsuits and writing about that or contract disputes and things of that nature. No, that would not be fun. I want to write about usually the things that make fans happy because that makes my job a heck of a lot more fun. The fans are happy then I'm happy. It it really is kind of that simple. Um, So if Michigan's winning, I, te- I yes, I tend to root for that because not because that's the, my alma mater, not because that's where I was, you know, I was born at University of Michigan Hospital, not because of any of those reasons as much as just like it makes my life easier because you have to learn if Michigan isn't playing well, like at Wisconsin, you have to be able to learn to not be emotional about it, to write about it, and then get out of town, you know? You, you have to be able to be coherent. That said, all of that said, I still love to root against Michigan State and Ohio State. Like, if, I have a, if Michigan's on a bye week, you better bet that I'm going to watch those two teams and root the heck out of you know, root against them is to the best of my ability. But that said, I am now for the most part more of the feeling that, yeah, I want Ohio State to get a little worse because Michigan, it would be nice. Again, fans happy equals me happy. But with Michigan State, I'd like to get them to get a little bit better, at least eventually. Like, yeah, maybe another year or two of what we just witnessed this last year. It keeps people happy, but it's so much more intriguing. Like, you want these teams, honestly, to be as good as possible and then Michigan to beat them. And as much as people will say, no, I just want Michigan State to suck all the time, I think you feel that way to some degree. But if, and part of the problem is, is that Michigan State, Michigan hasn't beaten like a great Michigan State team. Like, those really good Michigan State teams that D'Antonio had, unfortunately, Michigan was almost never in a position to win those games. And the few that were, well, really the only one where they were both, like, good at the same time was 2015. And we, you know, we're not going to talk about that. But it would be nice, right, if, to, you know, Michigan State's like a top 20 team. Not going to give them much more credence outside of that. And Michigan 
can still go in and just put a wall up on them. I think fans, as much as they say that they want Michigan State to be terrible, I think they would take way more enjoyment out of that. But who knows how it will go uh, if Fickle ends up being the guy or not. I think he's their best case scenario. Uh, but one last thing on D'Antonio before we move on to the, the NFL draft is it really does feel like there's like it seems like it's PR 101 that if there's like some damning new uh, I don't know what the word is, but you know because it's not evidence, but like, you know, Curtis Blackwell's lawyers said that there was these NCAA recruiting improprieties, allegations. And then you retire, resign a couple hours later. Like, and then you go and you have your press conference and say, that's not the reason. Well, guess what? It feels an awful lot like there's a correlation. I mean, it feels like there's a correlation between everything, right? Like they were, you know, they were already floundering on the field. And then you have the lawsuit. You sit there and you say, you know, I'm, you know, I'm going to finish the job. Well, you clearly aren't. You're leaving Michigan State. Some people say he left them better than he found them, but. It, it, I would actually argue he's left them exactly where they found them. Actually, in some cases, worse. Because while he did get them to be better than they have ever been, getting them to the college football playoff, 8-5 and five against Michigan, there's a, a possibility that down the road here, whoever takes over as head coach has to deal with some NCAA sanctions if that's investigated. And it's found out that Curtis Blackwell is telling the truth there. Now, I can't speak too much on that. I am friends with Curtis Blackwell. But, I mean, I don't know that he's leaving them off better. To me, it it would be PR 101 to be like, you know what? I'm going to wait a couple days before I do this resignation. So the fact that he didn't, that they didn't do it that way, tells me that maybe he's being told that you don't have a choice. Hence, it's happened on February 4th. All right, leaving very little time to talk about NFL draft. We'll get to that here in just a moment. All right, so I've been writing something seemingly every day on the NFL draft lately. I'll pull up some stuff here that I've written. The most recent one was Walter Football, which I didn't agree with them on. But here, where's the, where's the one here? They're just all kind of all over the place. So there was the seven-round mock draft that I uh, highlighted yesterday. Uh, that one was coming from Bleacher Report's Matt Miller, who is not a big Shea Patterson fan, left Shea Patterson undrafted, but he had eight Wolverines being taken overall. Cesar Ruiz in the first, Donovan Peoples-Jones in the second, Josh Uche and Ben Bredesen in the third, Khalid Hudson in the fifth, Sean McCune 
in the sixth, Josh Metellus and Levert Hill in the seventh. I think it's crazy that Michael Onwenu and honestly Shea Patterson being left behind on that one. I know we mentioned that a little bit before. I want to get to the one that I just did on Walter Football here in a moment, but I want to get to the one that I did before that first. Uh, let's see. I had it pulled up, and then, of course, I closed it because I'm really good at that. There was the one from the uh, – they've updated it since, but from uh, draftsite.com uh, that had – this is not the newest one, but this one had Uche – is the uh, in the third, Peoples Jones, uh, also actually Peoples Jones in the fourth, Ben Bredesen in the fourth, Runyon Jr. in the sixth, Shea Patterson in the sixth, and Levert Hill in the sixth. Um, so that all seems all kind of congruent, except for again, no Kalik Hudson, no uh, no Michael and Wenyu again, no uh, Caesar Ruiz, which seems a little bit insane no josh metellus then there's the one that i did today on walter football and that one seemed a little crazy and it really ended up being kind of crazy they they don't seem to do like the whole draft at once they'll do like around here and around there well they had uh just two michigan players in their top three rounds they're they're like check out our three round mock i was all in one and then they had two separate ones with a fourth and fifth round mock uh this had Kalik Hudson as the top guy picked and Josh Uche uh five picks later than him now okay I think that's kind of crazy not no offense to Kalik I think Kalik's fine but like where's Uche where's no sorry Uche where's Ruiz where's Donovan Peoples-Jones where's I mean, Ben Bredesen in the three. I mean, Kalik, I feel, is probably more destined for like a fourth or fifth or maybe sixth round. Again, that's no offense to him. I think he'll he'll be just fine. I just don't think like he's prototypically what NFL teams are looking for. Just size-wise and, yeah, he can play safety. He could be the Viper position if they want to have like that, you know, if they have a 3-4. But uh, nonetheless, I just think that's weird. But it was this was really invalidated to me because I, in their fourth round, they had Tariq Black. And it's like, wait, do we not know something about Tariq Black <laughs> that you guys do? Like, do they just see he's not on Michigan's roster or anyone's roster and assume? Or do they know something that, that Tariq's going pro and we just didn't know it yet? I don't know. Nonetheless, the reason I bring all these up is because, he, like, Jim Nagy, like I mentioned yesterday, how he he uh, thinks that Josh Uche should be more first-round material. To me, I think Uche's at least will have earned his way to being no less than a second-round pick based off the Senior Bowl, uh, you know, based off of his production when he was out there, all that kind of stuff. I think once he does the combine, that will be set. I would imagine Peoples-Jones, he's going to have just this freakish combine and people are going to go nuts over him and he's going to be a second round pick as well. Kind of sounds like Ruiz is there. Maybe even late first round. Okay. So that to me, that's, that's pretty ironclad. 
The next three rounds, three, four, five, I think you could see any mix of Ben Bredesen, Kalik Hudson. I'd even say Josh Metellus in there, even though I'd say he's probably sixth or seventh round. Um, I think that that's where you're going. But at least now when I'm kind of looking at this, because mock drafts seem to just have Michigan players everywhere. I'm more and more convinced that there's not going to be many undrafted free agents like there were before, because I think everyone is pretty much like Shea Patterson got a combine invite. I know people are down on him. I think he's going to be just fine. It's going to be a late round pick. Like I said yesterday, sixth, seventh round, something like that, but he'll get picked. Not going to stake everything on it, but that would be my guess is that he's going to get picked. I think Sean McCune deserves to be picked. Ultimately, you could be seeing 10, 11 guys actually getting picked. To me, it's more surprising that Michael Onwenu isn't in more of these. Maybe he needs that combine. But I think that people are going to fall in love with him after pro day and all of that. And they're just going to, and I think Michael Onwenu is going to fly up that, those boards. To me, he is, he and Uche are both equally being underrated. All the love for Cesar Ruiz, I think, is justified, but I think it's unjustified that Onwenu is not getting a sniff whatsoever. Just my two cents there. All right, we're out of time. Tomorrow is mailbag day, so excited about that. We'll probably do that a little bit earlier. At least I like to think that I will. Uh, of course, it all just kind of goes with how the schedule goes. So we will see. So for the Locked On Wolverines podcast, I'm your man on the ground, Isaiah Hole. Find me online at Isaiah Hole. Follow the podcast at On Wolverines, Wolverines Wire at Wolverines Wire. Again, if you'd like to be a feature sponsor on the show, email me at ihole at usatoday.com for more details about increasing your business. You can find us on iTunes, Google, Stitcher, Himalaya, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, or online at wolverineswire.usatoday.com. We post our daily podcast every single day to go along with the rest of your Michigan football and basketball coverage. This was Lockdown Wolverines, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, where it's your team every day.